Hi, and welcome to the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Christian Klepp, and one of the founders of Einblick Consulting. Our goal is to share inspirational stories, tips, and insights from B2B marketers, digital entrepreneurs, and industry experts that will help you to think differently, succeed, and scale your business. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Christian Klepp, and today I'm delighted to have Peter Bomer and Bessie Lee join me all the way from the UK. Peter and Bessie, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you, Chris. It's very nice to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Fantastic. So let's jump right in, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Okay, I'll go first. Sure. Hi, my my name is Bessie Lee. Um, I'm in the marketing, media, and advertising field. Um, I was working for WPP for 27 years, and my last job with WPP was uh, their China CEO. Then I uh, left WPP to found my own um, strategic investor incubator of marketing technology startup in China. And I'm Peter Bomer. I, uh, although I'm in the UK at the moment, trapped here by the lockdown, um, I've also been based in China and technically still am. Uh, Hopefully one day I'll get back there. Um, But I went out there to run the Asia marketing for Johnny Walker Whiskey um, and stayed in China as the marketing director for China and Hong Kong for the parent company Diageo. And in 2005, I actually started out on my own as an entrepreneur. So I've had a series of different businesses in China since then. Fantastic. So, I mean, both of you have had extremely successful careers in international organizations. And, you know, you've made that leap of faith into the world of entrepreneurship. So can you talk a little bit about what prompted that? Yeah, I mean, I, I um, we'll, we'll probably alternate with who goes first. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the best way to do it. Um, for me, it was sure. a combination of things. I'd been talking about doing it for 10 years. And honestly, I started to feel slightly ashamed of myself that I hadn't actually made the jump. Um, I think, you know, having spent a lot of time with entrepreneurs now, that's quite a common thing. And I think going to China with Diageo um, opened my eyes to just how big the opportunities are there. And if I'm really honest, to uh, how you really needed to be slightly smaller and more fleet of foot to seize them. So those two things combined um, made it feel like the right time to leave Diageo. I'm sure they felt exactly the same way about me um, Mm -hmm. uh, because I think Mm -hmm. it's pretty clear my interest was heading in a different direction. Uh, And that's how I got going. Right. So in my case, um, like I said previously, that I was in WPP for 27 years. Um, Working in China, you get to see, um, you know, technology in in mobile, in e-commerce, in social, uh, right now as marketing technology evolved very quickly. So when I was the WPP China CEO, I tried to um, see if I can drive this, you know, embrace of innovation within a, a big and sophisticated and complicated uh, corporate like WPP. But I found it very difficult because um, there's a lot of silos and the mentality was not there and and that that model itself was a, was a was an old model, so I th- I thought instead of you know spending my time breaking through silos, I might as part, my time will probably be better spend going outside 
and you know, investing in incubating marketing startup that represent the future of the marketing uh, industry. Um, so simple as that, I just chose to leave. I think uh, it's probably easier to it's probably easier to embrace innovation when you're outside of a big organization and you have you know all the autonomy, you have all the freedom, um, and you, you can you can operate on the speed that you would like to. Um, so those are the, the reason why I Yeah, jump. and I, I'd add something to that, just building on that. It, it's a lot to do with risk appetite. Understandably, big organizations are cautious. Um, they don't particularly seek to be or want to be, but people in senior positions in those large companies have you know, at least two agendas they have to manage. The first is what's in the best interest and provide the best opportunity for the business. Um, but the other is what's in the best interest of their further career development. And those two forces aren't always um, harmonious with each other. So the uh, ability to actually um, embrace risk and do things um, boldly that perhaps a big corporate might take rather a long time to decide to do, um, that's very attractive if you have the right kind of mindset yourself. Indeed. And I mean, those are all like um, amazing stories and, you know, certainly different backgrounds and motivations. But, um, you know, something that you said that really resonated with me was, you know, um, trying to break down the silos or working through the silos. Because, you know, sometimes that feels like you're swimming, swimming against the current in a, in a, in a relatively large river. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Great. So what were some of the challenges that you faced early on in your journey, um, you know, as entrepreneurs and how did you manage to overcome them? Um, when I first started my company, well, I guess the scale of the company and the resource of the company is very different to a big organization like WPP. So WPP China has uh, uh, 14,000 employees. They have 1.2 billion US dollar uh, revenue at, at that time. Um, and we have... I don't know, uh, in 20 cities, uh, very active operations. And we have below the line, uh, you know, satellite offices in, in close to 400 cities in China. So mm. the, the breadth and the depth of the resource, that's something that as a, as a small startup or as a, as a small firm that you, you don't have. So it's how do you adjust from having a big troop at your command to having a very small but autonomous ship but you have to do everything on you know on your on your own. You have to be hands on on pretty much everything. Uh, yes. that, that is a, a very big sort of getting used to. Uh, if you if you leave a big corporate and start your own business, that that was much less of an issue for me. Um, I, I really relished the freedom and the fact that it was down to me to put the right team together and to mm -hmm. make things happen. Um, there was certainly some trepidation to begin with because. You know, you wonder how you're going to fare when it's down to you to raise funding, when it's down to you to handle every aspect of the business, a much broader scope than you've perhaps had in the corporate world. Um, but actually, you discover quite quickly that those things are not particularly any harder than anything you were doing in your corporate job, um, just broader and actually more interesting for that. So that, that was less of an issue. The, the challenges for me were, were actually more about where um, I was choosing to build quite difficult businesses. So uh, China, for any Westerner, is an incredibly um, 
you could almost say hostile um, operating environment. And there's obviously nothing new in that statement. But the things you find yourself struggling with aren't the things you expect. Um, to give you one example, one of the biggest issues for me is simply the way that a super bright, super talented Chinese team will approach a problem. It's fundamentally different to anything I'd experienced um, in my corporate career or mm -hmm. in the West. And it took a very great deal of um, understanding what the differences were and learning how to handle them um, to really achieve very high levels of performance. It's something I think I would say that um, you never entirely resolve when you're operating as a foreigner in China, um, but you obviously get much better at it and you, you move in the right direction if you're paying attention. <laughs> right. No, that's, uh, that's exactly it. So, um, Peter and Bessie, what would you say drives you, um, you know, every single day to, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing, you know, continuing the good fight, as they say, or, or you know, what, what's the light at the end of the tunnel for you? Um, for me, there are, there are three things. Um, the first one is the desire to try and do things that people feel are difficult or even impossible to do. So uh, my very first China business was a broadcasting business, a very successful one, ultimately. Um, but in theory, at least as a Westerner, you are not allowed to own a broadcasting business in China. Um, it turns out that it's entirely possible to do so. You just have to understand the correct way to do that in, in that mm -hmm. environment. Um, and I relished the opportunity to figure out how you would make that work. Um, so that's the first driver for me. The second driver is, is the purely financial one. Um, I, I have hundreds of projects um, that I'm keen to get involved in. Um, yeah. And I want the financial freedom to be able to do that um, sort of as and when I choose. And I'm happy to say that we're well on the way to, to achieving that. And, and the third one is um, is really um, everyone is very much on the same page now, thanks largely to coronavirus about that. But actually, I think it's a trend that's been emerging for a long time. And uh, one of the aspects of that that I find fascinating is the way that much smaller groups, much smaller teams, much smaller companies are empowered to compete effectively with the big players. It's not something that has been at all easy to do in the past, but um, there's really a growing sense now in a number of sectors that small is beautiful, that you can build a, a really world-class team of, let's say, 15 or 20 people and do quite spectacular things. Um, and thanks to the internet and modern technology, you can actually uh, make a very successful business out of that. Um, it, yes. in many cases, outplaying the big, established, powerful players in, in a given industry. Mm. Um, so for me, early on, I said that when you when you left a big corporate and start your own business, uh, the scale and the resource are something that you're having to get used to. But it, it, it took a very, it didn't take long for you to start then enjoying the autonomy and the freedom that you get to enjoy and the speed of your decision-making in a, a much smaller firm, especially a smaller firm that you're running and operating yourself. So, so that um, I really, really enjoy. 
And then the second for me is we're starting to, because we're in the space of uh, strategic investment and incubation of marketing technology startup in China, then we started to see our portfolio companies making differences in our in the industry that the old model, the traditional agency model or marketing model, you know, took forever trying to crack but couldn't. So, yes. so, so that was, um, you know, very, very interesting to see. And that ch- the difference making was very uh, gratifying. And the third is, at the moment, we have 16 companies on our portfolio. And one of our po- uh, portfolio company is a, a big a mobile big data company. They went public listing in Shenzhen stock market in China. So when they listed mm-hmm. in March last year, that, you know, your question, the end of the, the light at the end of the tunnel, that was the first mm-hmm. light at the end of the t- tunnel that we saw. And then we, yes. we we were just so thrilled. And then our second company is at the moment in the process of filing IPO uh, in China as well. Um, they'll be filing IPO uh, second half of this year. So it's that sort of, pro- you know, you're, you're making changes in the industry and you're seeing progress that your portfolio companies are making, not all, only because of us, but we, but we did contribute to their success. And you know that you're driving and you're helping the industry to go and to make progress in the right direction. That just uh, very different to in the big corporate job where you just go up, you know, wake up every day right. to the office and you sort of repeat the similar process every day. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Really insightful and inspiring. I mean, you know, uh, company um, company going IPO. And, you know, this next question is like, short of stating the obvious, you know, the world's been turned upside down within a relatively short period of time. Um no more than ever, a lot of B2B businesses and startups and even large organizations, you know, they, they've had to think on their feet. And that's caused, um, you know, a lot of changes across uh, multiple industries. Now, let me just uh, throw some findings at you, um, uh, you know, from a, a survey that was launched by McKinsey not too long ago, um, before I proceed to my next question. So McKinsey launched this survey of B2B businesses um, across 11 countries in uh, seven sectors and 14 categories. Um, the report is quite comprehensive, but one, but three of the things, um, you know, that they found in terms of patterns were the following. So to nobody's surprise, the first one, Digital interactions are twice as important as they were a year ago. The second one is there's a stronger preference, even among B2B businesses and customers, for self-service. And when we say self-service, that means uh, using platforms such as apps. Um, And the third one is more than 90% of B2B companies, at least the ones that were surveyed, they've transitioned to a virtual sales model during covid so, so these are some of the findings. But you know, from your point of view, what are some of the interesting trends that you've seen? Um, you know, that have come out uh, of the current crisis. Well, I'll answer that by making a comment about those findings because I think they're incredibly interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I think I would interpret that ever so slightly differently. I think it was okay. always the case, or has been for some years, that those three things you mentioned would have been dramatic improvements. Um, for many, many businesses, not just B2B, um, not just startups. Um, 
but that there is a general tendency and, and it tends to increase with the size of the company um, to feel that the way you're doing things is highly effective and um, doesn't really necessitate very much change. Um, and that tends to fall away when you're in a situation um, such as the global pandemic. So people are forced to confront um, the need to find more effective and more efficient ways to do things. Um, the reality is, I, I strongly believe that those companies who recognise the importance of doing that uh, some years ago, before something like COVID strikes, um, were actually able to achieve enormous benefit um, even in that environment. And so I think what's, what, 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 what I'm saying is that um, it's always about uh, thinking on your feet, trying to find a better way to do things, um, trying to change and develop and push forward all the time. But it's often the case that it takes a crisis to force people into thinking that way. Uh, and as I say, I think that's more true the larger the company. Um, I guess what you're looking at, again, is a risk appetite thing. Right. Um, people are averse to change and very understandably, and that's because they perceive the risk of changing as being higher than the risk of standing still. Um, my view is that that's rarely the case in any situation. But when you're facing a global pandemic, um, people are much more likely to feel that standing still is the more risky option and go for change. So it's incredibly healthy, but actually it's something I believe that good businesses do all the time. Um, and again, in keeping with you know a lot of the themes we've talked about already, both Bessie and myself, uh, the smaller the right. business, um, the easier it is to pull a superbly talented team together that are actually willing and able to do that on a daily basis. Mm. Um, Chris, thank you for sharing with us the, uh, the McKinsey's report. But if you look at those findings, those tend to be part of the digitalization of everything that people have always yes. said in the last, I don't know, 10 years. Right. I think I think what this pandemic has done is to give people the sense of urgency. Mm. Mm. So I think started 10 years ago, countless big corporates started talking about digitalization, you know, innovation. They even put in place chief digital officer, chief innovation officer, technology officer, chief, whatever officer, this and that. But unfortunately, what we saw before the pandemic hit was digitalization was a great, you know, advertising slogan, but the actual implementation can always wait because you always have other more urgent stuff to, to attend to. Right. Procrastination. Exactly. Yeah. And, and dare I say it, complacency. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yes, what indeed. this pandemic has done was to keep, you know, so what's the excuse now? You have no excuse because you're like Peter said, you were forced at a corner. You have to change. You have to embrace the change. So what I, what I observed, um, in both in China and the UK was for those organizations that have embraced digitalization and innovation much early on, they have a much quicker or easier time adjusting to the new normal brought by this pandemic. Those companies that, you know, chose to put digitalization and innovation on the side uh, agenda and attend to other things, they find themselves very in a very, very bad situation. Um, not only 
they're not able to turn around quick enough, but they found that their whole business model was overturned or you know disrupted by this pandemic. But they they were help, hopeless and helpless because they're all working from home. <laughs> so if you want to come up with a new business model, they probably, they probably were like, well, how do I do that now? I don't, you know, I, I can't even go to a meeting room to, <laughs> right. to have a whiteboard and to have a PPT <laughs> that people can present. Or, or, how, or how do I soundproof my room? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I came across this story. Just, just, just amazing that this company never allowed to, you know, employee to employees to use a laptop. When pandemic hit, everybody had to work from home. They had to order... I don't know, 250 laptops for their employees. <laughs> wow. So it's, it's, it's a, a things like that. I mean, I've seen that Incredible. in China. I've seen that in the UK as well. Um, yeah. So I personally am very, very glad that this pandemic happened. Mm. I know a lot of people hate me for saying that. But looking at how organization evolved, and I think this pandemic couldn't happen in the right, the best timing for it mm. all. So 2020 is such a great year for it to happen. And um, just embrace uh, the new normal and reboot yourself, you know, put your organization to zero and then start thinking, th- start throwing away all the old, old model and then thinking, what can I have, what can I, what would I have done differently, you know, organizing, uh, yes. being an organization of the future? Yeah, I mean, it's an issue of empowerment, isn't it? The, and this is something you hear from entrepreneurs actually at all times. But it's that um, recognition that it falls to you to do something. And, right. and then the growing delight, actually, that a great many people take in discovering they can do that. Um, yes. And uh, that, to me, is incredibly exciting. I think it's a global trend. I think um, it's happening in a lot of industries. I think the craft gin uh, industry is a Mm -hmm. fantastic example. Um, Relatively small businesses making vastly superior products to the big players can't, of course, achieve the kind of margins that the big players do, but are so much better able to make the right product for the right people uh at the right price quickly and adapt that uh it more than compensates mm-hmm. they're still making good margins um not the same as a major player but they make good margins and they're able to reach people who are interested in what they do all around the world and they do um the the that's so tremendously exciting to me that is something that i believe should be taught in schools um you know the ability to take that kind of control of your life and again, I know Bessie um, isn't grateful that the pandemic happened. It's been appalling in so many ways. But yes. I do agree with her um, that there are, as always, some real positives that have come out of it. And I think, you know, widening the number of people who are beginning to experience that sense of empowerment and do remarkable things, that's a part of it. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, Is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. So, you know, both of you have been incredibly involved in, uh, you know, 
first of all, running your own businesses, and you've also been mentoring other people as they as they have been, um, you know, starting their own businesses and and and, and companies um, in such areas like digital and tech, and you know, some of these happen to be in the B two B category as well. So, that being said, the current crisis has clearly forced um, you know many businesses, as you've rightly alluded to, um, to be agile in order to um, in order to survive. But you know. There's always going to be those that are reluctant or resistant to change um, simply because of the risk involved and it might be a budget issue. But most importantly, it's also because there's some certain degree of anxiety of not knowing what will happen, um, you know, six to 12 months from now. Um, what advice would you have for these businesses that are currently going through that dilemma? Well, uh, don't do it. It's <laughs> <laughs> very to sound flippant, but I, I think, um, and I suspect actually it's rarer um, that, that, than your question would suggest. Um, I just don't think businesses or even individuals can afford to do that. And I think, generally speaking, the business community all around the world are fairly well aware of it. Um, you cannot afford to do that. Um, you know, in terms of what you do differently, uh, I, I'd highlight two things, really. Um, the first is just generally great practice for any fast-growing startup business, which is to be incredibly clear about the uh, end state that you're trying to achieve, the outcome, the, the, the place you're trying to get to, if you like, uh, and have a pretty clear idea in your mind how you're going to go about that, but stay enormously responsive to events uh, and adapt as you go along. Um, so don't lose sight of the end state um, and do be very clear on what you think it takes in broad brush terms to get there. But keep listening, keep looking, keep spotting those places where you need to adapt and make sure you're doing it. So that would be the first thing. The, the second thing is, um, and this is difficult, I think, um, for humans everywhere, um, be absolutely ruthless in your appraisal of yourself and your business. Um, mm. One of the problems is that, you know, people have cherished ideas. Companies have cherished ideas, leadership teams and, 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 and wider teams about what's so special about what they do. And um, my experience, and actually you could do a whole separate podcast on this if, if, if you were interested, but my experience mm -hmm. is, is that um, those, those cherished beliefs are quite often wrong. And it doesn't come to light because, in general, things are good in the economy and the market environment and the company's doing just fine, thank you. So those sort of cherished beliefs are allowed to maintain their hold and, and, and colour the way people do things. Um, the thing you cannot afford to do um, in, in crisis times and Actually, if I'm honest, I think if you really want to succeed in any time um, is to allow those cherished beliefs to take hold. You have to look with a very hard, cold eye at what you're doing and whether it's the right thing to be doing and whether you're doing it right. Now, that is easy to say and incredibly hard to practice. Um, but I guess nobody said that the world of business is easy. Um, no, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I look at my 16 portfolio companies and also my own companies. Um, mm -hmm. In the startup world, <coughs> every day is uncertain. 
So every day is uncertain for startup. I mean, Chris, you you actually is are you running a startup yourself? So yes. you know, not next six to twelve months, next six weeks to twelve weeks are uncertain to you. But I, I but I look at my uh, portfolio company. What what they've been doing, and my own company have been doing was you keep your long term vision in sight. But you have a very short term plans, and therefore you're able to adopt, and you're able to turn around quick enough. I mean, now is pandemic. Who knows? I mean, given what's happening in the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, business are interrupted as well. Business are affected as well. Oh yeah, there, there could be a war between you know I don't know two countries. Who knows? So you gotta have short term plans. And I look at my portfolios, portfolio companies. They're evolving every day. It not just they're all technology companies. So I'm not talking about just te- technologies itself are evolving, but I'm also talking about their business model are evolving, mm-hmm. their clientele are evolving, their service offering to their clients are evolving, and all thanks to this uncertainty. It's the uncertainty that excited these startups. It's uncertainty that excited us. Mm. Because we, mm-hmm. we certainly do not want to repeat what we do every single day. If that's what we enjoy, we, I would have never left the big corporate. Right. Um, so I I think uncertainty is not all bad, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you just need to know how to em- embrace it, um, and then prepare yourself on this short term planning, quick turnaround time, speed, and flexibility. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And I, I'll, I'll add a word, which is vigilance. I mean, I think in many ways, right. vigilance, yeah. are quite similar. Mm. But just being absolutely aware at all times of what's really going on. And, mm. and as we both said, keeping that long-term sort of end state firmly in mind, mm. but thinking, what is it I have to do this morning to adapt my approach to make sure I get there one day? Mm. And, and um, it is uh, it is partly about embracing uncertainty. In fact, to a very large extent, um, this is one of the issues in life. Some people are much more comfortable with that than others. Speaking of myself, I, I couldn't live without uncertainty. I, the idea of um, that I might somehow actually know what's lying ahead in the next 18 months is pretty terrifying to me. Um, I, I, I wouldn't like that at all. Um, and I think Bessie is, 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 is similar. Mm. Um, I, I would say one thing actually, which is China in particular, a market all three of us know extremely well, um, mm. is a place where that ability to handle uncertainty and, and deal productively with it is especially well advanced. So I think it's a real strength of Chinese businesses and particularly Chinese startups. But let's remember, even the really big Chinese players were startups not so long ago um, in Indeed. cases um, and, and still have quite an entrepreneurial uh, approach in many ways. Um, yes. There is a real excellence in China at understanding that you might have to pivot, is, is the cliched phrase, three times yes. in one day, and that that's absolutely fine. Um, I don't know why that should be. I suppose the truth is we're a little more conditioned in the West to a general feeling that everything is okay, we're comfortably off and we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, in a country like China that's been through so much, um, mm-hmm. people are less um, generally secure and more aware that sudden 
you know, adverse events can and do happen. Um, we've all been forced to confront that with COVID. And uh, as, as Bessie said, in some ways, that's quite healthy. Indeed. Um, this has been so great. I mean, you've, you've given such great advice, um, you know, for the listeners, for entrepreneurs and B2B businesses out there that are trying to like recalibrate, I think is the right word, and navigate through these difficult um, times and also to help them to reassess their current business models so that they, um, you know, uh, address the cha- not only the challenges that they are facing in their own businesses, but also to help address the challenges of their own customers, right? Yes. So, okay. So you've probably heard this, as you rightfully alluded to, Peter, you, this is probably another one of those buzzwords that you hear at least 10 times a day, but, you know, the new normal. Although many would argue that the new normal has already been here for a while, but, you know, um, in your own words, what do you believe the new normal will be that we are going to be coming back to? Do you want to take that first, or shall I? No, you can go with Well, I, I, for me, I'm just not sure I really believe in the idea of normal. Um, I, I, uh, a lot is going to change as a result of this. We can all speculate on some of the things that are likely to happen. It will vary wherever you are in the world. But, for example, there is likely to be a lot more homeworking. Um and uh, video conferencing rather than face-to-face meetings, those sorts of things, which actually have potential to have a very big impact on countries and cultures and economy. Um, but I, I think for me, that, and, and it's sort of a theme I've been trying to get across throughout this, this chat, is that um, the idea of normal isn't necessarily a very helpful one. Uh, right. You need to be at all times on your toes and watching what's really happening because even if there isn't a crisis, uh, there might be an opportunity that you'll spot if you're acting that way and others right. won't. So the new normal, if you want to put it that way, for me is um, let's be a bit cautious about the idea that there is a sort of settled state that's somehow more predictable um, that we will return to. Um I think that's at all times a little bit of an illusion. Um, and obviously mm. it, it comes to the fore at times like this, but um, I think companies and individuals benefit by not assuming that anything will ever be normal and trying to read what's going on around them at all times. Yeah, Chris, like you said, I mean, we, we heard and read and we ourselves use new normal a lot yes. as well mm. more recently. I I think a lot of us use new normal because that's probably the best term to describe something that we have no idea what's gonna what's what it looks like <laughs> yeah. in the future. Yeah, they had they had the coin phrase and that was it. <laughs> yeah. So if we say new normal, everybody's like, Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I have yeah. no idea what it actually means, but I know what exactly. you're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I I think it's it's probably like a wake up call. It's a wake up call to force you to revisit all the models that you have in the past. What's the purpose of having everybody work in the office? I've been working from home since January 21. So it's been, it's been more than six months now. What's the purpose of having an office? What's the purpose of having a field sales team to go out there and do door-to-door or face-to-face sales? What's the purpose of um, you know having predominantly retail distribution channels why didn't you embrace more online or e-commerce channel so i I think there's going to be a lot of these 
questions being answered. Um, and I, I hope people or organizations will try seriously answer those questions and, and drive some changes. What I worry was most people are just waiting around for to get back to normal. They're, they're still waiting for time to go back to the office to work. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm afraid to probably many people, the new normal was still going to be the, the old normal. <laughs> <laughs> Same old new normal. Yeah. Um, well, as you did mention, um, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, um, this is a journey that not everybody can take, mm, right? Mm. They probably should be. Mm. Um, because it will help us to uh, move forward in a in a more um, uh, seamless manner. But mm. you know, and again, it's resistance to change. Mm. Um, no, that's uh, that's great. Um, so, did you have any advice or thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, I, in a way, I think we've we've probably banged on um, about advice and thoughts. Um, you probably did throughout the whole conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, so. I mean, rather than repeat all of that, let me try and say something a little fresh, at least. Um, mm -hmm. I really liked what Bessie was just saying about, you know, do you really need a field sales team or uh, yes. office-based staff or uh, any number of other things? The, the advice I would give is um, be very sure at all times that what you're trying to do is find the best way to do something, um, mm -hmm. even if that means changing um, rather than uh, the way that you're familiar with doing something. Um, mm -hmm. And that, me, I mean, that, I've, I've tried to make that my sort of uh, uh, code through life, if you like. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, it's served me very well um, and led to an interesting and unusual career for me. Um, of course, I'm just one person and my opinions are my own. So um, <laughs> many other people um, mm. would think that quite foolish and have other equally interesting and, and valid approaches. But for me, it's always be looking for what's the best way to do this rather than what's the way that we're used to doing this. Yes. Um, Chris, I, I, I'm sure many, many of us, well, many of your listeners uh, work mm -hmm. in big corporate um, there's got to be more than one quiet moment that business leaders will ask or say to himself or herself that uh, I wish I have an opportunity to do this all over again. Right. And I think mm -hmm. what COVID-19 gave you is that chance to do it all over again. There is appetite for change. There is appetite yes. for disruption. There is appetite mm. for innovation in the market. This is your mm. chance to do it all over again, do it differently. Don't let it pass. Um, if you let it pass, you miss your chance. And who knows when the next, I don't want to say pandemic, but when, when, was, when will be the next you know, big opportunities you know, come around? Maybe mm -hmm. for another 20 years. Do you agree? Do you agree? <laughs> yes. don't, don't do that on mm -hmm. the basis that it's a one-off response to mm -hmm. a crisis. Mm -hmm. Do that right. because right. it's what you should be doing all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, as they as as they say, um, you know, that the world is going through these different stages now as a as a result of the crisis. And the first one is to react, mm. then the second stage is to pivot, then it's to survive, and then it's to thrive, right? Mm. And companies are, you know, companies that are going through these different stages. Well, you know, um, the way that they make decisions based on the current circumstances, but also at the same time trying to look forward, will will the 
um, help them to determine how they're going to come out of this crisis, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. great. Um, Peter and Bessie, this has been an excellent session. Um, very refreshing, very inspiring, uh, very insightful. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Um, what's the best way for people out there to connect with you? Uh, I'm available on all social networks. So if you go on okay. LinkedIn and search Bessie Lee, B-E-S-S-I-E-L-E-E, -S -S -E -E, you should be able to find me. And LinkedIn, best for me. I'm still really clumped into the Chinese social media environment mm -hmm. so not very active on facebook um but i am on linkedin um peter bomer b-o-m-e-r and uh, i'd be delighted to hear from anyone uh, chris it's been um a real pleasure thank yeah. you very much for inviting us on exactly. um, we'd be delighted to come back anytime you'd like us to mm -hmm. and we wish you the very best of luck with it i think you're putting together some very interesting podcasts i can't wait to listen. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, take care, be safe, and I'll, I'll talk to both of you soon. Okay. You take care. Okay. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye, bye bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.